Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. Well, we have a very exciting guest tonight. She's been on all sorts of TV shows, and she's been featured in newspapers, and she's actually coming to Anaheim in December. We're going to find out about that. I'm very excited to tell you about Annette Martin. Annette Martin is frequently featured on national and international shows. She's helped over 60 law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and they have solved heinous crimes. Also, she's been featured on Court TV's Psychic Detective, which she is. Also, 48 Hours, Me Too, Entertainment Tonight, The Discovery Channel, The History Channel, The Discovery Channel, Court TV, Nancy Grace Show, The Kathy Greer Show, BBC, Montel Williams. Oh, isn't he wonderful? I've been on his show. And many other television shows, including Good Morning America. And so we are going to be telling you about her, and she's going to be sharing so much about herself with regard to a different kind of privacy, and that is the psychic nature of privacy. You can find out more about her at closureforyou.com. That's www.closure, the number four, the letter u.com. She's also the subject of a new book called gift of white light which i have right in front of me it's a biography about annette and it begins when she first discovered her psychic gift as seven and james n fry who is the author brings you an in-depth look at the personal and psychic life of a genuine psychic so without further ado i'm going to tell you a little bit about this kind of privacy usually you're used to hearing about information privacy and legal privacy issues We had one show where we talked about privacy within the home when we had our feng shui expert for design. But today we're talking about another form of personal privacy. Actually, it could be used for good or evil. The ability to intrude on that mental privacy, it obviously is something good that we're going to be talking about today because we have a psychic detective who uses her skills only for good, helping law enforcement agencies. She also helps people to have insight into illnesses they may not know about. And she also helps people connect with their loved ones on the other side. So, Annette, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mari, for having me. It's just a delight to be here. Well, Annette, first, why don't you tell my audience about how you learned you had the skill to tap into that sixth sense? Well, you know, it happened at a very young age of seven years old. A wonderful and unusual new world began for me. While playing with a group of my friends that I'd known all my life, I suddenly had a vision in which I saw my playmates would turn on me with intent to kill. And ten minutes later, that vision became a reality. 
Huh. Very, very scary, to say the least. Well, what happened was we were playing kick the can, and all of a sudden, after I saw this vision in the sky, um, I started feeling rocks and sticks hitting my legs and my back, and I became so frightened that I began to run. And as soon as I began to run, they started throwing more rocks and sticks at me. Now, there was no provocation for this, Mari, whatsoever. Hmm. Well, I continued to run, and I ran up my stairs, and I'm pounding on my door, totally, totally forgetting that my mommy and daddy were at work. And I turned back to face the children, and more rocks and sticks were being thrown. I was bleeding, Hmm. and all of a sudden, I heard this deep, masculine voice, and he said to me, pick up that stick. And I went, oh, it's daddy, and I turned around, but of course, nobody was there. And I turned back to the children, and again he spoke to me, and he said, pick up that stick and throw it. Well, I looked down at my right foot, and there was a stick about 13 inches long. And as I looked at that stick, I knew that I had to make a very, very big decision. I had to either listen to that masculine voice, or surely my friends were going to kill me. Oh, my goodness. Well, I picked up the stick and I threw it, and I hit one of the little boys straight across the nose, broke his nose, blood went everywhere, (laughs) and suddenly all the doors opened up, and all the parents start coming out, see what's happening, what's going on, they call the ambulance, and they take the little boy away. Well, to make a long story very short, my mother and father came home that night, and I told them what had happened, and my daddy said, no, it's okay, it's all right, you just need to stay inside for three days. Uh, which I did, and he said, then you have to go outside again. And I went, oh, Daddy, if I go outside, they're going to kill me. And he said, no, 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 they won't. They won't. It'll be fine. Well, the third day came along, and my grandmother shushed me out the door, and my little girlfriend came over, and she said, Annette, do you want to play jacks? And I said, okay. And we sat down, and we started playing jacks. Well, all of a sudden, the little boy whose nose I broke came outside. Oh, well, then I really got scared, and I ran back up the stairs again. And he came over, and he said, would you girls like to come over in my yard and play on my swing set? Well, he was the only one who had a swing set on the block. And so we both looked at each other, and we said, yes. And we ran across the street and played on the swing set like nothing had ever happened. Wow, that's a good that's a good ending. <laughs> yes. Well, let me tell you what happened after that. About several weeks later, a dear friend of my mother's came over for lunch. She left, and about an hour later, I ran out of my bedroom into the kitchen and said, Mommy, Mommy, uh, Pauline, you have to call Pauline. Oh, her big right toe really, really hurts, and she has to go see the doctor. Oh, my mother just looked at me and said, What? Annette. If there was anything wrong with Pauline, she would have told me. If, if there's, she always tells me everything. And I said, no, no, you have to call her. And she said, well, I'll call her in the morning. Well, the morning came around, and the phone rang. And guess who it was? It was Pauline. And she says, Viola, you will not believe what happened to me last night after I left your house. I went home, and my big right toe began to swell up. I was in excruciating pain. It was just horrible. Well, I went to my podiatrist this morning, and he had to take the nail off. He said it was so infected that it was just a good thing that I had come in to see him that day. Mari, that was the beginning of my psychic career. (laughs) You know, and I had told, I shared with you the other day how, as a little girl, I had a similar type situation where I was only about six or seven years old, and and my parents were going to go out, and I wouldn't let them go out. I screamed and yelled, and there was a babysitter, and they thought I was nuts, and I had never acted like that. And that is the night that the friends that they went out with were killed in a car accident. So, you know, a lot of us have this, and of course... Even Lloyd sitting here is very intuitive at times, and he's had intuitive dreams and intuitive things. A little, his little uh, niece had come to him right at the same time that she died, and which is similar things that you write about in your book. And so I, I have a question. I, we've had this just between he and I and you have had this psychic experience, and of course you're much more uh, adept at this, but how common really is this? 
Well, I would say that it's extremely common. <laughs> Everyone comes into the world with six senses. What generally happens, though, is that either the parents will tell the children, oh, now, Johnny, don't say things like that. Now, you know that, you, you know, you just have a very vivid imagination. Or the child gets all the way into school and the teacher says, you know, now, Johnny, you shouldn't be saying things like that. Or the children, the peer groups will say, oh, you're weird, Johnny. Right. You know? so, and so that you repress it. <laughs> exactly. So what happens is then the child just stops doing it. Right. I know you told that story that. about when you were in your grandpa's car and you had, you know, you heard this voice, stop and get out, get out. And then, of course, you, uh, you, you forced your grandpa to move and he, was, he wasn't wanting to move. And then he finally moved and a freight train went by and you all would have been killed. Oh, we all would have been killed within a minute. Yep. Yep. It was a minute because he couldn't get the car started fast enough. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when I read that, after I had told you that story and then I read this, I went, wow, you know, these are the kinds of things that happen when little children really have this, you know, ability to pick up on these things and then parents often don't listen to it. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I always tell parents, you know, you must be very aware of the child and, and what it is that they're telling you and the things that they're seeing. Do not put them down. Do not tell them they're crazy. Do not tell them that they can't have an imaginary friend. Right, right. Because children do see spirits, you know. Exactly. Oh, yes. I've watched my grandchildren, you know, at one year old, looking up at the ceiling and watching something floating along in the ceiling. And I've looked up there, and sure enough, there's a spirit. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, you know, I read recently, and I shared this with you, too, that there's a UCI professor right here on campus, which I hope to be talking to. Her name is Jessica Utes, and she teaches statistics but she's done research and is continuing to do new research on studies about parapsychology. And her studies include various forms of extrasensory perception. She says that it's not about whether you believe in ESP. And a lot of the people who subscribe to our podcasts are scientists and law professors. So it's not about whether you believe in it or not. It's about the empirical data that proves that there are people who possess an ability to acquire information through other senses than the ones that we always think about, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I think I certainly have proven that, especially with the police work and the medical diagnosing that I've done throughout my whole life. We're going to talk more about that, but to help those people who are listening who don't understand some of these terms such as medium or telepathy or ESP or stuff, can we kind of have you help us understand what is a medium, for example? Yes, well, a medium is a person who can communicate with the dead. So those are loved ones who have passed on. Uh, we can communicate with them. I'm also a medium. And Okay, so what about telepathy? Mm, that's the ability to transfer one's thoughts to someone else. And, you know, Mari, they really don't consider this a supernatural phenomena because there have been a lot of experiments into this that were started around 1882, can you believe? Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. the beginning of the Society for Psychical Research. Uh-huh. Well, I know the Russians, especially ever since, I think, the Cold War, have been doing a lot of research on that for, for, for spy work. A tremendous amount. Yeah. <laughs> tremendous amount. And, in fact, they are so far ahead of the United States and so far superior. I know that this woman who is the professor here, this Jessica Utz, she worked for an, uh, the, the U.S. Department, the government, mm -hmm. in that kind of research as well to see what it is exactly that we can tap into that sixth sense to use for maybe to prevent terrorism. That's right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay, so what is uh, uh, ESP? Well, ESP means extrasensory perception. And um, actually, you know, there's been support for the possibility of ESP from the discoveries of quantum physicists who are working at the cutting edge of science. And they have introduced such concepts as relativity, action at a distance, antimatter, black holes, and parallel universes to both their colleagues and to the general public. 
So someone who has extrasensory perception is someone that uh, is like myself, that people will say, oh, you have ESP. And the extra is the sixth sense. And that is actually what that is, but it's not extra. It's all a part of us. Right. And remote viewing, that's, how, how does that relate? Well, remote viewing is also uh, where they are looking out into the future, uh, mostly into the future or into, into what is happening right now. And they're transferring their thoughts over to see what is going on. Right. I think that's the Russians were really doing a lot of research on remote viewing to see what we're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what is, what is uh, how would you describe precognition? Precognition is the paranormal ability to foresee about places or events before they happen. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, t- I had told you and shared with you that I've had dreams that were precognitive that mm-hmm. that came true which that why is it that a lot of people have that when they're dreaming is that a, a place when we're sleeping that we're more in tuned with that realm Absolutely we're in tuned with that realm because what's happening is that we're going into REM sleep and we're moving into the subconscious unconscious mind and a lot of things that uh are happening, we can pick up during that time. Now, when I get a lot of visions and predictions about things, it usually occurs just as I'm going to sleep or just as I'm waking up. Right. And it's in that twilight zone, so they call it. Right, (laughs) right. Where we can pick things up about what is going to happen in the future, predictive things. And how about an intuitive How would you define an intuitive? Well, an intuitive is is a person like myself, who's someone who can um, describe paranormal events and abilities. And uh, I can see inside of bodies. um, I know what's happening, uh, what is going on with that person. You know, I remember we had gone to Edgar Cayce's place in Virginia Beach and had read some things about Edgar Casey. He was he was a medical intuitive too, wasn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For my was. audience, can you tell cuz I know that you had dedicated or he had dedicated the book about you to to Edgar Casey. Did you know that? that? In yes. the front it says dedicated to Edgar Casey? Yes. The book is dedicated to Edgar Casey. Yeah. Because Edgar Casey is one of my guides. Oh, really? Yes, and he lived between 1877 and 1945, and he was known as a medical clairvoyant, and he's probably, to this day, the most documented of all medical clairvoyants. Yeah, we we had um, some of his articles, and I think we even have a book by Edgar Cayce in mm-hmm. the house, and how he would, you could look up a type of um, illness or something, right? Isn't that how he did it, Lloyd? Well, yeah, yeah. what he did, he did it very differently. Uh, he went into a hypnotic trance. Right. And then he was able to do it almost like a remote viewing session, mm-hmm. that he was able to look and see, because most of the time the people didn't come to see him. Uh, he was only given their name and their birth date. And then he would look and see what was going on with them and do the medical diagnosing. You say that, yeah, I'm sorry, mm -hmm, go ahead. mm -hmm. And so Mr. Edgar Casey is one of my guides, and he is with me every time I do a reading. Hmm. And he assists me with uh, all of my medical diagnosing that I do. So when you talk about a guide, why don't you explain to to my audience what you mean by he's one of your guides? Well, a guide is someone who is there to help you. And the first one that I had um, become aware of, of course, was this deep masculine voice that I told you about, this baritone voice who told me to pick up the stick. And uh, as I found out later, as I began to grow and do more things with my intuition, uh, that he showed himself to me, which I describe in the book of Gift of the White Light, and uh, he told me that he was there to help me. 
And so he is always around me, and I also, he, um, many, many times, I'll start to go out the door to come to my office to go to work, and he'll holler at me, and like I'm a little deaf, you'd think. <laughs> and he says, don't go now, like that. And I'll go, what? And he'll say, don't go now. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, all right, okay. So I put my purse down, and I go, and I sit down for a while. And then finally he'll say, okay. And so I go up, and I get my purse, and I get in the car, and I start driving. And sure enough, on the road that I was going, there was a very bad accident. Yeah, this so. has happened at least a dozen times in my life. Mm. And so he is a great protector. Uh, I mean, I've had many, many other stories that I could tell you I could go on for hours <laughs> about how he's literally saved my life. So, Annette, do we all have guides? I would say that we sometimes do, not always, No. Uh, what I have seen with people is sometimes they will have an angel uh, or they will have um, a relative who comes frequently to help them out. But I have not seen anyone who has guides who are with them all the time. Hmm. And maybe that's because they're not doing the kind of work that I'm doing. Right. You that can... is, uh, that's all I can hypothesize about is that could be the reason. Now, uh, James Von Prague, who is a very dear friend, he has a guide with him all the time. Hmm. And because James is doing readings all the time, okay? And so... So does that kind of attract when you're, when you're into that space and you're really using that sixth sense? Does that attract them? It's like calling out to them, come to me, that I'm, I'm here? I mean, is that how you get a guide all the time? Um, I would, yes, I would say that that's probably what happens, is those of us who are the professional psychics or clairvoyants or, or even remote viewers, I, I would say that we all have guides with us all the time. You talk about white light. Could you explain to my audience what you mean about white light and what it means to, you know, to have a white light around you? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the white light has been the most extraordinary thing in my entire life because uh, it is uh, so much a part of my life. Uh, I discovered the white light when I was a very little girl, and I would go to bed at night and I'd close my eyes and I would see this powerful white light shining all over me, and then it would just sort of go around me like a big bubble. And I, it felt so warm and so loving. And I was being raised in Catholicism, so I thought, oh, this must be from God. And I was also an only child. And so I thought, oh, this, this is a very special thing for me because I'm all by myself, and Mommy and Daddy are working all the time. So this white light is very special for me. And you felt protected. I felt very, very protected. And finally, as I began to grow and I gradually came to understand that this white light was part of the mission of my life and to learn how to use this power of the white light to help other people. Annette, do you think that there is more of this a sixth sense if you use your right brain more than your left. For example, as an attorney, I'm always having to think with my left brain. You know, I'm, I have to, my logical side of my brain. Um, do you think that that's anything to do with right brain versus left brain? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The intuition, the creative creativity is in the right side of the brain. Right. Mm. And I have written another book called Discovering Your Psychic World, uh, which is a teaching book and teaches people how to develop their intuition. Oh. And so uh, this, you know, is part of the process of um, by learning how to get into the right side of the brain. And how we do that is either through prayer or meditation. Right. And as far as I'm concerned, they're both the same thing. <laughs> right, right. And it, what it does, it causes us to quiet 
the conscious mind, that left brain that is chattering all the time. It's mm-hmm. going on and on and on and always asking questions and going on and on. And so what happens is you never get that very peaceful, quiet state. And as we were talking earlier is why we can receive more intuitive impressions and visions is when we start to go to sleep is because in that state, the left brain, the conscious mind is very quiet. Right. I I had heard that praying was talking to God and meditation was listening to God. <laughs> so it was kind of very similar what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about how how it is that you pick up on what would be considered perhaps private information that someone is thinking or feeling. Well, the, let me kind of tell you a funny story, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a, a gentleman come in in my office. I was in Los Altos at that time in Cal- Northern California. And uh, this very tall gentleman comes in and he sits down. And uh, I, all I ask is the person's first name. And I asked him what areas of his life he wanted me to look at. And he said, well, just tell me what you see in it. And I said, okay, fine. So I closed my eyes, and I started talking to him, and I started telling him about his daughter. And he's sitting there, and he's just, yes, yes, that's true, yes, that's true, okay. And then I said, oh, well, I see these things, and what I'm going to tell you right now, you do not have to answer because... I feel that you are with the CIA. Now, you do not have to respond to that, but I'm going to tell you what I see. And I proceeded for the next half an hour to tell him about a very secret place uh, in the United States where they were doing things with the military. Well, after we finished, he stood up and he threw his arms around me and he said, Annette, you are absolutely incredible. Did it? I must. It might have scared him a bit, huh? Well, I think it did. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me to my next question. You know, I mean, what is the reaction of people when you tell them private information? Like oh, that? they're so funny because sometimes people will say, "Well, how did you know that?" <laughs> I just start laughing and I say, "Well." Uh, I do believe I'm a psychic, and you came to see me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> what you wanted to know. <laughs> but but how, how does it come to you, though? I mean, I think that's the interesting part, like, you know, and, and you can do this with Lloyd and I because we're open to it. We're a little scared probably, but we're, yeah. we're open uh-huh. to it. But um, how does it come to you? Does it come to you, like, in a flood? Does it come to you visually? Does it come to you auditorily? You know, how does it comes it... through every way. It, I hear, see, smell, taste, know, and feel. Okay. And so I get all of the senses are working. And sometimes it comes all of those all at the same time. And it comes in full color. And uh, the information is just there. So do you have to get into some kind of a mode like... Do you have to kind of get centered and relaxed and quiet? What I do is mm-hmm. I, I sit in my chair here. Uh, I close my eyes, and I take three deep breaths, and I bring in my wonderful white light. Mm. And I bring that in through the frontal lobe, and I see it moving down my body, out my feet, and into my aura. And I do this breathing technique three times. I just take three deep breaths. And as soon as I'm finished with the third breath, I'm already starting to talk to the client. Mm. And that is probably a minute or a minute and a half. Mm. And I start to tune into the person and uh, giving them information. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's how it works for me. So tell us about some of your your cases that you've helped the FBI with, because I think that's amazing that they would be open to that. Not not amazing. I think it's helpful that they would be open to it. Why don't you talk about how, how you've helped the FBI? 
Yes, well, the FBI, um, I certainly, first of all, I didn't even ever expect to be working with the police department. And uh, the FBI sort of came to one of the first murder cases that I worked on in at the Marin Sheriff's Office. There were two of them present while I was doing a reading. And about two weeks later, they called up uh, Detective Sergeant Richard Keaton of the Marin Sheriff's Office and said, well, you know, um, you know that lady that, uh, you know, we were there the other night, and uh, we'd like to kind of talk to her about the Patty Hearst case. Mm. And he goes, well, you know, I'm sure that she would. And so he gave them my phone number, and... uh, they came and picked me up, and we went and did some stuff <laughs> with the Patty Hearst, and also the SLA. Oh yeah. In which yeah, they were doing a lot of uh, robberies in San Francisco at that point in time. And this so, how successful 19- were you in helping them? I'm sorry. I said, how successful were you? It was successful. I, I can't give you any details on that. Okay. But it was successful, and they were quite shocked. How is it that you started working with law enforcement anyway? Well, that was something that I certainly didn't plan on. Um, I had just returned from living abroad for five years, and um, I was a professional psychic by this time. And my secretary and I had gone to a yoga class, and we were laying down doing the meditation part at the end. And I was laying there having a wonderful meditation, and all of a sudden I saw this body hanging over my body on the floor Mm. and a street sign next to her and it just scared the life out of me and i sat up off the floor my secretary said are you okay okay yes i'm all right so uh, we laid back down again and after the class she and the yoga teacher came over to me and said what happened to you annette and i told them what i saw and both of them simultaneously said annette you have to go down to the Marin Sheriff's Office and tell them, this could be a big murder case that you've seen. You, you need to go down there and talk to them. And I said, oh, are you kidding me? I'm not going down there. Why, they're going to think I'm crazy. Either well, that or they're going to think you're the murderer. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I said, I'm not going down there. Oh, yes, yes, you have to go. Well, it took them about 20 minutes to convince me, and I called my husband also, and he said, well, why not? Why don't you go down there? I mean, maybe you can help them, you know, and I go, oh, no, I don't want to go down there. (laughs) Anyway, so my secretary drove me to the sheriff's office, and we walked in, and um, I walked up to the detective, uh, the sergeant at the desk, and uh, can I help you, he says, and I said, uh, well, um, yes, uh, my name is Annette Martin, and uh, I'm a professional psychic, and um, I've just seen a dead body. Well, I thought he was going to keel over on the floor. Mm. <laughs> he said, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he disappears. A few minutes later, two detectives come, and they escort me into this room with my secretary that has no windows. It's one of those interrogation rooms. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, was I frightened because I'd never been in a police department before in my life. Right. And here I'm sitting here going to tell them this strange thing. Well, the detective sat down at the desk, and uh, he said, well, tell me, what can I do for you? And I said, well... My name is Annette Martin. I'm a professional psychic, and you're going to think I'm crazy. (laughs) And he looked me straight in the eye without blinking, and he said, No, I won't think you're crazy. Can I tape record this? And I said, Yes. And I knew from that minute that I was safe, and I knew that he would listen to what I had to say. Well, we were there for five hours. (laughs) I gave them all kinds of information, and they asked me to come back that evening, and he said the captain wanted to meet me and a few of the other detectives. Well, we came back that evening and walked into a room of 25 men. Hmm. There was the sheriff there. There was a judge. Uh, there were the two FBI men. There were a whole bunch of detectives in there, and I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> now I'm really in for it. But when I did, Mari, to keep myself from being scared, because I was, 
Uh, I said, okay, Annette, now you have to remember what it was like when you sang Manon Lascaux at Bellas Artes Theater in Mexico City. I had sung for 3,000 people and a 60-piece orchestra. And I thought, okay, Annette, if you can sing three high Cs to 3,000 people, you can certainly sit down and you can do this. (laughs) And and you were confident because you were getting information that felt true to you. Right, right. So we spent another five more hours with more information. And what now, was this all about one case, or was a whole flood of stuff? Case. Oh, one case. This is one case. And I had told them all about the perpetrator, what was going on with him, that uh, he had uh, kept taking all these white pills and chewing on them, and that how he killed her. I went into the scene of the conversations from the time he picked her up and brought her to his trailer and what he said to her, what she said, and how he killed her. Now, had they found a body yet? Yes. Oh, they had. They how, had how, just how? found the body oh. that morning. Oh, my goodness. So it was you were really in tune. I was very in tune. And now, I did told you, Did them, they find the body at about the same time that you had seen the body? I, I think so. Mm-hmm. 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 And I told them that he would try to kill again and that it would take a year to that day that we were sitting there that night that they would find him, and they would find him wearing white. Mm. He would be working in an institutional setting, and it would not be in California. Well, guess what? To the day, a year later, they arrested the suspect for another murder. He was working in a hospital in Washington State, and wearing white pants and a shirt. Oh, my goodness. And he is in jail still today. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Mm-hmm. So when you're describing him, do you actually get into the mind of the perpetrator? Absolutely. What happens is that I move into the mind of the perpetrator, and sometimes um Sergeant Detective Richard Keaton would tell me that my voice would change and my face would change a little bit. Hmm. And then I would jump over and become the victim. And I would take on the idiosyncrasies of the victim. And then when it gets really bad, when it's close to the actual murder, I will jump into being the observer Hmm. and watch what's going on and just talk about what I see happening. So you actually get the kinesthetic feelings as well? Absolutely. I feel everything. I feel everything. It's only momentarily. It's only for a few moments. But it's enough and it's fine with me because I need to know what actually happened. Right. You know, so that they know what they're dealing with and they know what happened. So most of the time this is you can tell what happened afterwards or will you see something happen before it happens some of these violent crimes most of these crimes are afterwards okay right so you don't you don't see it coming you no. see it after you're able to get in no the mind. i do not thank god yeah that's right that's <laughs> because right. there's too much happening and going on in this world right mm. so as a psychic investigator you know what are your thoughts about privacy Well, the privacy aspect of it, Mari, is that years ago, 37 years ago to be exact, um, I promised the Marin Sheriff's Office that I would never, ever go to the media about any of these cases, and I did not. And not until uh, Richard Keaton, Detective Sergeant Richard Keaton, who actually was my partner for all these years, up until 35 years, and we started the company of Closure for You uh, due to his retirement. Oh, so now he's like a private investigator? Yes, he's a private investigator, but he's really retired now. He's not well. Uh And, uh, but... um, When I asked you about... Yeah, so so he you promised him for privacy reasons yes. that you would not reveal any of these cases. Exactly, not until we started our own company. Okay, right. about four years ago, 
And uh, then after he retired and he said, no, you know, now you can talk to the media about it. And so that's when we started talking about it in for Court TV and for um, other television shows. And, and you also you. have in your book about some of the stories as well. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And those are the ones that are solved. Right. Thank God. We can only talk about those. And so that's the privacy issue. Also, the other privacy issue is my dealing with the family and the police department. Um, many times the family will contact me, and I always tell them, and I send them a letter telling them that uh, I only work with the police agency, and I will make a tape for the police agency of what I'm picking up and what I'm seeing. And it is up to the detective in charge of the case to give them the information of what I've seen. I cannot give them that information. Hmm. And this is because, as you know, being an attorney, that uh, sometimes there's a family member who could be involved in the murder or a robbery. Right, right. What if there's a cold case and the family feels that law enforcement has just let it go? It's just, you know, they don't have enough evidence and they just let it go. Would you, and if somebody wanted to hire you for that closure for you, would you be willing to help them if law enforcement doesn't want to do anything? No, no. Uh, I have to do it with the law enforcement because there's no point in uh, giving the family, well, I can't say there's no point. The, the thing of it is, is, if I gave the family that information, someone in the family could go out with a shotgun after the person that I saw I who see. did the uh-huh. heinous crime. Right. And right. we don't want to have that happen. Right. And that's one of the other things that are extremely important for the family not to know what it is that I've seen. Right. So, no, I only work hand-in-hand with the police department. And that works very well. Hmm. Now, do you get calls from law enforcement agencies all over the country? Or, yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And Canada. And when you do, do you do it, do you have to go there, or do you actually do it by phone? I do it by phone. And then if they want me to come, uh, then we make arrangements for that. And many times I have gone to locations. I have a question. You know, you. I know you use these skills and this sense for, for only good, and I know you do wonderful things. Do you ever worry about people who have this ability that might use it for bad? No, I never worry about that because I never dwell on the negative. Right, right. <laughs> so, no, so I don't, you know, I don't become concerned about that. Do you think that there are people who have this ability that might use it for some? I mean, you could you could use it for negative pur- purposes as well. Have you ever heard of anybody doing that? No, I haven't. Well, thank goodness. No, I mean, uh, do you have any um, ideas of how they could do that? Well, if they if they have psychic ability, they know that somebody might be leaving or somebody might be more vulnerable. Um, you know, they might be leaving their house. They may be going and take something. I don't know if they they could use it for bad if they had that information. Mm-hmm. If I they mean, have I, that I don't want to give anybody ideas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be pretty intuitive, or yeah. you've got to case the place pretty, right pretty well. <laughs> right. Let's talk about medical medical. Intuit- intuition and medical privacy. I know in, in this day and age, people are very concerned about medical privacy, but they're also concerned that they feel sometimes that ordinary medicine doesn't always know what's wrong with them. That's very true. Yeah. So- I would say that 90% of my clients who come in, when I ask them what areas of their life they would like me to look at, the number one thing is their health. Hmm. Next comes their family. Next comes their job. And how about wanting to know about what their family that has passed on? What about that? That comes, yes, that, that's in the equation, but it's usually a little bit later. Yeah, unless they've just mm-hmm. had somebody that passed. Unless someone's just passed on. Yeah, right. 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 What about what you do and medical privacy? What, that's such a huge issue that people want that information to be kept 
Oh, absolutely. Every one of my readings are very private. Mm -hmm. What happens for me, um, now I'm making CDs of the readings. And for 40 years, I have been doing tapes. (laughs) Right, right. So you're in the electronic age now. Yes, I know. And you use email, right, right. (laughs) And so they get the CD, and as soon as they walk out the door, Mari, Within a half an hour, I could not tell you one word that I have said to them. Okay, so do you go into a trance like Edgar Cayce? Or? Yes, I'm, I'm in a very light, altered state. Okay. So I have trained myself to come from being in a very deep, altered state up into a very light, altered state so that I can function. Because what was happening when I started doing the police work, oh my gosh, I mean, I just zoomed down into this very deep uh, altered state. And my secretary was a nurse and she was constantly taking my pulse to make sure that I was okay Uh because my pulse would drop. Right. And so Uh, She said, you have to do something about this, Annette. And I said, okay, let me work on it. And so I kept talking to myself and saying, okay, you don't have to go so deep. You don't have to go so deep. Lighten it up, lighten it up, lighten it up. And so I trained myself to do that. So when you're doing this, it's almost coming through you rather than from you, right? I mean, you're really picking up this this. This, these, uh, it's not even thoughts, it's more of energy that's coming through you that you're revealing. Is that correct? It's energy that's coming from the person and also from an outside source right. as to what is going on with them. And then it's, I'm, I'm sort of like a transcription machine. Right, channeling it, so yeah. to speak. and it gets uh-huh. transcribed into words and thoughts and feelings and color and emotion and then I give that back to the client. And it always comes back in a very loving way so that they are being counseled and they are being taken care of and uh, they're being shown that they can fix this and this is the problem and this is what they need to do. And whenever there's a very... um, emotional kind of process or a very heavy medical process, I always, always encourage them to go and see their doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Right, to follow up on it. Oh, absolutely. So how about when somebody comes to you and says, I would like to have you help me talk to my wife that's passed on or my son or whoever, are are you always able to do that? Do they come to you or... Do you sometimes not, you can't do it? I have to have a photograph of them. Uh-huh. And that's the process that I use is psychometry. So mm. with the photo, because they've passed on, that helps me to get into their energy field. Mm. And so when I'm in that person's energy field, then I call them intuitively to see if they will come forward. And I would say probably 80% of the time they do. Hmm. And that 20% of those that don't, don't want to talk to the relative. Oh, okay. They're resting. Um, they just don't want to communicate. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Can you give some examples um, of, of how you've helped people as medical intuitive? I read some of those in your book. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, um, there's one who is very, very interesting. Um, I, it was in the Inquirer magazine. Oh. And in 1986. And the, the title was Psychic Warns Housewife She Needs Surgery Hours Before Doctor Confirms It. <laughs> well, this lady came in to see me and uh, she said, Oh, I'm leaving on a trip tomorrow for South America. And I just wanted to come in and make sure I'm a writer. And I just wanted to know, you know, how my trip was going to be and if I was going to get to write my book. Well, she sat down, and I began to draw a picture of her gallbladder. Hmm. And I saw all these little round black things inside of the gallbladder. And I said, you know, you need to go and see your doctor right away. And she goes, oh, I can't. I'm I'm leaving tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm going on this trip. And I said, no, no, you have to go and see your doctor because this is very, very bad. 
And I said, I want you to go out to my secretary, and I want you to call your doctor's office from my office. And she said, all right. I mean, she was really perturbed with me. Right, annoyed, yeah. (laughs) She did. And she got the appointment, and she went in to see her doctor that afternoon. He took an X-ray, and he immediately sent her to the hospital. And the next day, he performed a gallbladder operation. Oh, my goodness. And he came out and told her husband, well, the psychic was correct in her diagnosis. I took the gallbladder out, and it was full of these dark, dark green gallstones that looked black. Wow. And she's (laughs) going to be just fine. And her husband just stood there with his mouth open. (laughs) Yeah. Really? Now, you also predicted a very famous singer's death that you explained in the book. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, yes. Dear, dear John Denver. Oh, I love John Denver. Yes, I did, too. He was just one of my favorite singers and and persons. Well, this is an interesting story because at the point in time that I met John Denver, I was dating Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, is all in my book, yeah. Gift of the White Light. Right. And uh, we were in Aspen, Colorado. We were skiing. And um, he says to me um, that evening, he says, well, tomorrow morning, how would you like to go and have breakfast with John Denver? Wow. I went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would love to do it. He was always doing that because he knows so many stars and so many people. And, and so we went to breakfast. And John sat next to me. And uh, John turned to me after we were finished drinking our coffee, and he said, Annette, I'd like to have a reading from you. And I said, oh, well, that would be wonderful. When would you like to do that? And he goes, well, how about right now? And I went, oh, well, you know, where would you like to go and do this? And he goes, well, let's go over to my best friend's house. So we jumped in the car, and we drove over to his best friend's house, go up to the front door, and the door opens, and who is standing there but my first husband's first cousin, Edgar Boyles. And I said, Edgar. And he goes, Annette. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I mean, you talk about a small world. Oh, Lord. So we go inside and I sat down and I did this reading for John. He wanted to know if he was going to get his house back and he wanted to know if his little girl was going to be with him most of the time. And I said, yes, he was going through a divorce at that moment with uh, Annie his right, wife. Right. And uh, he goes, well, what else do you say? Oh, he says, no, what else do you see about me going to uh, outer space? He says, I want to be the first civilian to go into outer space. And I said, well, let me look at that. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I said, no, John, I just don't see you going in outer space. And he goes, well, I was really hoping to go on the Challenger. And I said, well, I just don't see that. And of course, as we know, the Challenger is the one that blew up. Right. Well, he said, what else do you see? And I said, oh, gosh, John, I see this small experimental plane, and I see you flying in this, and you're flying out over the ocean, and you're really enjoying this plane, and then, oh, the airplane is starting to go down, and it's going down, and, oh, gosh, it's going into the ocean, and everything went black. Wow. And John just sat there for a moment, and he didn't say anything, and then he totally changed the subject. And we talked about his music. And as we know, 15 years later, that is exactly how John Denver died, in his brand-new experimental plane right off the Pacific coast. Right, in Monterey, right. Yeah. Well, you're also an opera singer talking about singers. Yes. And I know that you have an event coming up in December in our county, in Orange County. So why don't you tell us about, first about, Lloyd says we got about six minutes, so this is perfect. (laughs) Um, Why don't you tell us about the event that's coming up? Oh, this is going to be so exciting. This is at the Learning Light Foundation in Anaheim. And I'm going to be doing a program with my very dearest friend and medium, Michael J. Curry. And the title of the show is called Two Singing Psychic Mediums, <laughs> A Holiday Musical Treat with Annette Martin and Michael J. Curry. It's going to be on Saturday, December 20th. And uh, you can call, of course, the Learning Light Foundation to get tickets for that. 
yeah. So and what is the telephone number for that? The, do you have that? Yes, uh, I do. Do I have the phone number? No, well, I don't. Oh, well, you know what? We'll, we'll get it and we'll put it on the website. You'll send that um, to me. Yeah. And okay. they can they can probably find the Learning Light Foundation in Anaheim on the website, too, and probably see what's coming up. But that, that sounds like a lot of fun. So, it's going to be. So um, you're going to be singing and, and yes, doing we, psychic stuff. And doing psychic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so as far as we know, there's nobody else in the world who's doing this. And uh, we think it's just going to be such a wonderful time, and, and we're very excited. We have done one program already, actually, down in uh, Laguna, at uh, one of the bookstores there, and it was very well received, and people just loved hearing us sing and also do our psychic thing. So it was just, it's just a lot of fun, and what we want to do is just make this a very happy holiday time. Right, and and it's a good time to get some ESP in your life. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, along with some beautiful music. I had a, a, another question for you, and that is you, you're also a Ghostbuster, right? Oh, yes. So so tell us about that, how you actually you do like a little exorcism for these guys or what? Well, actually, uh, sometimes I do, but most of the time what we do is we go and we investigate. Now, um, I, you know, have, I, I'm sort of the resident psychic down at the Winchester Mystery House oh. where we have a resident ghost named Clyde. <laughs> Clyde the ghost. Okay. Clyde is a ghost, and he was the caretaker for Sarah Winchester. And they became very good friends, and Clyde actually fell in love with Sarah, and they spent a lot of time together. And uh, near the time where she was getting a lot older and not feeling too well, she had said to Clyde, when I'm gone, Clyde, will you stay and take care of things for me? Will you stay and take care of the house and, Mm. and the 160 acres? And he said, oh, yes, yes, Sarah, I will. Well, she passed away, and he stayed on the property, and then he passed away, and he stayed Oh, so he's so stuck, he stuck. Is, oh, no, no, he's not stuck. Oh, he loves it. He loves <laughs> it. He is there, and he is taking care of the house, and he is so pleased and so happy with the people who own the house now. They're taking such good care of it, and he kind of enjoys seeing all the tours that come through and the children. He loves mm. the children. Mm. So how about when you get an entity that that isn't necessarily a happy person. Maybe they were an alcoholic or they were a a criminal or something like that. What about those people who stay behind? Well, actually, I have not run into a criminal, but I have run into a real character for (laughs) a ghost. Um, This happened uh, back in the 80s, and um, I was sent back to Connecticut to do uh, a weekend seminar, and one of the couples who were in the seminar lovingly asked me to stay at their home uh, for the weekend. And so that evening I went to bed, and I pulled the covers up, and I closed my eyes, and, you know, something felt wrong, and I felt like somebody was watching me. Hmm. So I opened my eyes, and I looked down at the bottom of the bed, and who is standing there but a Spanish soldier in full armor. Wow. <laughs> well, I screamed. <laughs> Just then the bedroom door flew open, and the couple who owned the house were standing there and said, You saw him! Mm. And I went, Uh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't tell me that you had a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, this ghost was quite a character. He'd been there for many years, and he got to the point where he was pulling out her bras and panties. She would walk into the bedroom. He was a dirty and old man. <laughs> and panties were floating in the room. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. A dirty old man ghost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lloyd is telling me we only have a few minutes left. Oh, no, no. 
Oh, we're, we don't have any time left. That's what he's telling me, that we don't have any time left. So all I want you to do is give us your website, and then we're going to have to go to that website, and we're also going to have to go to your event on December 20th. Oh, so, absolutely. I'm so looking forward to seeing you there. Yes, we will. All right. And my website is www.annette-martin.com. Okay, we will go there. And we thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to see you in Anaheim. Thank you, Mari. All right, thank you, Annette. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Please join us every week on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy, where you can see our upcoming guests, write us emails, download podcasts, and listen to archive interviews. Thank you very much for joining us. Good night. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.